0: Building Stronger Creatives, a fitness podcast for musicians, artists, nerds, and former misfits. I'm a former out-of-shape professional musician turned personal trainer and nutrition coach to hundreds of clients, and I'll give you no-nonsense information about what it really takes to get and stay fit within the context of a creative life. Here, you'll find practical advice on strength and endurance training, sane and simple nutrition, habit building and time management tools to help you make lifestyle changes that actually stick. Most fitness coaches have no clue what it really means to be a creative, whether you're a professional or a passionate hobbyist. I'm different, I've been where you are and I share your values. Let me show you how you can use the gym to build a kick-ass creative life. Hello, and welcome back to episode 40 of Building Stronger Creatives. I'm your host, Caroline Juster, and today we are going to do some fitness myth-busting. I don't have any announcements to share with you today, so we're just going to get right into the episode. In my many years working in the fitness industry, I've seen a lot of trends come and go, and a lot of these things are cyclical, which I guess is true of all trends. If you look at fashion right now, uh, a lot of the things that were popular when I was a kid are popular again, so it goes also in fitness and also in nutrition. So I'll say right off the bat that today's episode is going to be all about fitness myths, but I'm going to do an entire separate episode about nutrition myths because I, when I was putting this together, I was like... Holy shit, there's so many of these things and it just makes sense to separate them. So among these trends, there are also some persistent ideas that just tend to never go away. Now, the manifestation of these ideas may be different. I'll give a nutrition example even though we're talking about fitness. So low carb diets were super popular when I was a kid and the big one was the Atkins diet. And then today low carb diets continue to be popular but now it's through things like a paleo diet or through a keto diet and stuff like that. So a lot of times the name of the program or the influencers peddling these ideas change but the core idea is kind of the same. So we have a combination of trends that come and go and also some things that just don't ever seem to go away. Now, unfortunately, some of the myths that tend to be the most persistent are also the most incorrect and sometimes the most damaging. And I've spent a lot of time talking about these with clients and with people in my audience. So I want to say if you have been told these things, or if you believe these things, or if you made decisions about your own workouts based on these things, I don't want you to feel bad because there's literally an entire industry of people that have been telling you this stuff for years. But as Always I try to be a voice of reason for people. I try to share evidence while also taking like a more pragmatic approach. And what I want to do in today's episode is to just go over some of these really persistent fitness myths, hence the title of the episode, five fitness myths, that myths that just won't die. And I want to share the truth and I want you to have this information and be armed with this information so that you can make the most effective decisions about your own training and your own workouts. So let's dive into it. The first myth that just won't die is that you have to change up your workouts all the time and keep your body guessing in order to make progress. Perhaps you've heard this phrase as this idea of muscle confusion, that the way that we get stronger or the way that we become more fit or the way that we build muscle is by shocking our body with new stuff, and then the body's forced to adapt to keep up. So I sort of understand the thought process behind this. I do think that probably what it really came from was people trying to appeal to our human desire for novelty and excitement, especially in the modern world, as opposed to actually coming from any viable science. The reality is that while I will absolutely agree that it's important to have fun in your workouts. It's important to stay engaged. You really don't need a lot of variety. And in fact, too much variety is absolutely detrimental to your progress. So when it comes to strength in particular, which is a big goal that a lot of my creative clients have, strength is a function of nervous system efficiency. Yes, Growing bigger muscles is part of it, but even if you never grow your muscles at all, you can get a lot stronger just by becoming more efficient. So basically, when you go in the gym or even when you move your body outside the gym, your brain is in charge of coordinating a complicated series of maneuvers anytime you do an exercise. It has to move the right joints at the right time. It has to fire the right combination of muscles at the right intensities, which sometimes will change throughout the range of motion of a movement. There's a lot going on. And that's why if you are really new to strength training, you often feel kind of like a baby giraffe, a little awkward when you first go in the gym, wobbling around, not really sure of your body. And then you actually make rapid progress. And it's not necessarily that your muscles got much bigger or even got much stronger, it's that your brain learned how to perform whatever exercises you're doing. So now it's much easier, there's much less wasted effort, things are moving in the right sequence when they're supposed to move, and you make big gains just from that adaptation to your nervous system. So what does this have to do with keeping your body guessing? When you are constantly chasing novelty, constantly changing your workouts, in pursuit of some mythical muscle confusion gains, you are making it very difficult for your brain and nervous system to make the kind of adaptations that you need in order to get stronger. So you're always in that baby giraffe phase. Every time you go to the gym, it's something new. You're a little bit unsure. You're trying to figure things out. And then the next workout is something new again. Versus if you come to the gym and you repeat a workout a few times, the first session might be, a little awkward, you might not be as strong, you might not feel as sure of yourself. The second session, you're already gonna see improvements in efficiency. You're gonna be more confident in executing the movements and eventually what that allows you to do is to lift heavier weights. Now, we know that in order to get stronger, we have to move or resist forces. So if you just can't handle much force because you're literally trying to learn how to do something and you're always in learning mode, you never give your body time to get to what I call performance mode, which is where you know how to do something pretty well. I'm not saying you have no room for improvement in your technique, but you know how to do it well enough and you feel confident and secure enough that you're actually able to push yourself. And those are where the real gains at the gym happen. And again, you cannot do that if you are always doing different stuff at the gym. Even if you're an experienced trainee, you need to repeat your workouts, I would say at least three out of bare minimum if you're someone who's like, I really need more novelty to stay engaged, you know, at least do your workouts three times. But what would be more ideal is to repeat your workouts four to six times. Now, again, you're not doing the same exact thing in every sense. So that workout, the order of exercises, what exercises you're doing, what rep range you're using, those things may stay the same, but you may be doing different number of reps each week within that range. Maybe you're adding a set or two. You're certainly trying to increase weight, improve your form. So there are changes that are happening, but the workout itself is the same for four to six weeks. Taking this approach, embracing the process of repeating and like giving yourself time to dig into the workouts and get to a point where you can push yourself is 100% of the time going to give you far superior results than always trying to do something different. Muscle confusion is not a thing. In fact, the opposite is true. Yes, you can do stuff too long, so if you're doing the same workouts for three months and nothing's changing, you're probably not making progress, but if you are progressing one set of workouts for four to six weeks, your brain likes that, it likes the repetition, and it's going to reward you with more gains and improved performance. So I hope that makes sense. I know that doing these types of classes and workouts can be fun, and so if you want to do them sometimes, once a week, whatever, that's fine, but if you have a serious goal about getting stronger or improving performance, the majority of your training needs to be structured in this repetitive, progressive way. The second fitness myth that just won't die, and in fact seems to become more and more prevalent all the time, is that When it comes to cardio or interval training, high heart rates are best always. The goal is to get your heart rate as high as possible and keep it there. So a big offender of this would be the orange theory model, which rewards you for being in like an orange or a red zone. I'm not exactly sure what the colors are, but they want you to train with such a fast pace, such a high intensity that you keep your heart rate elevated and you keep it there for a long duration and you're rewarded with points and encouraged to do that now there is a time and a place for high heart rate training i do think that if you are someone who's been working out consistently so you're not a newbie and you've been you've been training you've been doing some stuff like i do think that there's benefit of getting your heart rate pretty high maybe once or twice a week at most but the vast majority of your training especially cardio training should be done at lower heart rates intentionally done, not at max heart rate, but instead in more of like a 110 to let's say 150 range. That's a little wide. So that will depend somewhat on your age and your training history experience. But I would say 80% of any cardio training that you do should take place in that range. And then the remaining 20% can be some combination of higher intensity work. So it could be what's called like zone three work, which would be more maybe like 150 to 170, or it could be some of those higher intensity sessions, shorter intervals, things like that. Now, the reason that we want to do this is that there's so many things going on with improved cardio fitness, like there's such a myopic view in fitness of heart rate as the only thing, like high heart rate is the only thing that matters. And high heart rate just shows like that you really push yourself and your energy producing capabilities, but it doesn't say anything about the ability of your heart to pump blood and deliver it efficiently to your body. It doesn't say anything about the ability of your muscles to actually use that blood and convert it quickly into energy. It certainly doesn't say anything about your endurance because you just can't sustain those high heart rates for very long. Like it does not matter how fit you are. There's always going to be a literal ceiling to how long you can do that. And why are we doing cardio training in the first place? Are we doing it just to crush ourselves and feel like we accomplished something? You know, if that's the case, then maybe trying to chase high intensities is totally fine. But the reason that I do cardio training and the reason that I prescribe it for my creative clients, well, the reasons, let me list some of them, improved heart health. There is a very strong correlation between cardiovascular fitness and reduced cause of death, especially from cardiovascular disease and related diseases it helps us have more energy. This is the big one for my creative clients. Are you tired of feeling like your energy is up and down? Are you tired of feeling like you can't pay attention, you can't make it through the day? Your aerobic energy system, which is the energy system in your body that operates at a low to moderate intensity, produces something like 99% of all the energy you'll ever use in your life. And that includes things like practicing your instrument, hanging out with your kids, going grocery shopping, cleaning the house, you know, working on a project. That's not even... Only gym stuff. So, when we can improve the capacity of the aerobic energy system to produce consistent energy at a low cost to the body and to do that really efficiently, that not only means more energy for traditional cardio workouts, it also means more energy for the entire rest of your life but you're not going to build that type of like low, long, slow endurance by doing these crazy high heart rate workouts. That's training a completely different side of cardio fitness. If you really want to develop this type of like all day energy, you really need to do a lot more percentage of your training in this lower heart rate zone. So I said zone three earlier, zone two is what this would be. So what are these zones? It's basically Like a somewhat arbitrary percentage of your max heart rate. Now it's difficult to calculate like exact zones and max heart rate, but there's a lot of formulas that do a good enough job. And the important thing is that when we're in, we're doing this zone two work. I mentioned like around 110 or 120 to maybe 140 or 150. It's intentionally not that hard. That's the really important part. It's not that hard. We want to be able to do it with. Ease and without a lot of stress, without jacking ourselves up, without needing to take pre workout or whatever to get through the workout. And we want to be able to do it for a long time. The last benefit of cardio training, of course, is the ability to do fun stuff outside the gym. So for someone like me, Aerobic system training is what is fueling me on my backpacking trips. It's what's helping me ride my bike around Chicago, which I really love to do in the summer. It's what's helping me with my swim training. So if you are a runner, you're a cyclist, you like to hike like I do, you like to play pickup games with your friends, you know, you go rock climbing, like all of these are aerobic activities. There's some degree of higher intensity, but most of it is fueled by aerobic training at a lower intensity. So basically to sum all this up, yes, there is a time and a place for high heart rate training. But if you're new to fitness, first of all, I think it's just way too intense. It's going to hurt your recovery. It's not going to be very productive. And for all people, it should ultimately only make up 20 or maybe 25, 30% of your training. The vast majority of your cardio training and your weight training too should occur at lower heart rates this is really really important if you want to stay in the fitness game long term not run yourself into the ground and also actually get the real benefits of cardio training the benefits of like feeling like you (laughs) crushed yourself or you're pulling yourself out of the gym with your arms you know on the ground like that can be fun but that's not really what it's all about in the long run so less high intensity less chasing high intensity for its own sake and more lower to moderate intensity cardio is where you want to live so the third fitness myth that won't die, I actually just had a conversation with a client about this the other day. So that's how I know that it's still out there. And this is the idea of spot reduction. So I'll use some examples to show you what I mean. Let's say, uh, and I okay, I—I I try not to do this myself. I try not to make these types of body comments or whatever, but a lot of people say these things to me. So I'm just sort of repeating what I hear. I just want to make that clear. So Someone will come up to me, they'll hold out their arm, and they'll kind of like flap their underarm body fat. And they'll say like, how do I get rid of this? Or they say, you know, I'm doing all these tricep exercises, but this isn't going away. Like, how can I get rid of this? Or maybe someone has extra body fat on their legs. Maybe they have some cellulite. Maybe their thighs have more body fat than they like. And they say, you know, what exercises can I do to get rid of this? Um, A lot of times people want a six-pack. And so they'll point to whatever belly fat they may or may not have, and they'll say, what can I do you know, to get a six pack? So it's this idea that I have extra body fat in some part of my body or some part of my body is larger than I want it to be, and I'm looking for an exercise to target that body part to make the fat go away. That's what this idea of spot reduction is. And unfortunately, this is fueled by these ridiculous videos I see on social media, where you have influencers who are usually already extremely thin or extremely jacked, and they point to the body part and they jiggle it around, and then they show you a video with exercises to target it. So if you've ever seen that stuff, that's what I'm talking about. Now, here's the bad news about spot reduction. We can't control from which part of our body fat comes off first. So this is largely determined by biological sex and by genetics. So in terms of biological sex, men tend to have what we call more uh, visceral fat, which is around their like internal organs, and they tend to hold more fat in their stomach area in general, which is why you sometimes see uh, especially older guys that have kind of small arms and legs but have a larger stomach. Women, it tends to be more all over the place. Some women tend to hold more body fat in their arms, like the tricep area. Some women tend to hold more fat in their lower bodies, so glutes and legs. Some are more in the stomach. Some could be a combination of those things. This is, again, largely determined by genetics, although not entirely. So when you want to reduce the size of your body, all you can do really is lower your overall body fat percentage through a caloric deficit, which is achieved through some combination of eating a little bit less, and moving a lot more. So if you are someone who holds extra fat in their triceps area, you might find that your legs get pretty lean. You might even have visible abs and you still have that stubborn fat on your arms. Or maybe you still, like you, for men, for example, it could be that you really want a six pack and you have pretty lean arms, pretty lean legs, but you still hold extra fat in your stomach. Like you cannot control from where like where that fat is coming off from first. It's going to happen in the order that's essentially programmed into you to most uh, for the most part. Excuse me. So what does this mean for training? So when it comes to training, you can perform exercises that sort of hit this stubborn area or problem area. But all that's going to do is it's either going to strengthen it and there'll be no muscle gain, depending on the type of training you're doing, or you will actually grow that muscle. And I can tell you that if you grow the muscle without losing fat, the area might be more firm, but it's actually going to look larger, which sometimes has the opposite effect of what people want. A good example of this is people that want to get a smaller waist and so they start training their obliques which are core muscles located on your sides by doing things like side bends with weight plates and Russian twists and then much to their disappointment they find that their obliques grow larger because training can grow muscles and then their waist is actually larger than it was before. So you know what is even the point of all this? Yes, I do think that if you want to have leaner arms or legs or stomach, there's absolutely benefit to training that area to build the muscle there. Of course, there's benefit to building muscle all over. But in theory, if you build that muscle and then you also lose some body fat through dieting, you're going to have that more defined leaner look that you want. But just know that like you can do all the crunches in the world then it's not going to get rid of belly fat. You can do all the tricep kickbacks and press downs in the world and it's not gonna get rid of the arm fat. The fat and the muscle are different things. The fat has to come off through, again, some type of combination of getting into a caloric deficit through diet and exercise. So I think that to some extent there's an element of coming to terms with this. So me, for example, I'll just use myself. I am a woman who tends to hold more fat in my lower body So my upper body can get pretty lean and I can have even almost visible abs, not like a six pack, but you can see the outline of my abs and I will still have tons of cellulite and body fat on the back of my thighs. And I probably could diet really long and hard and get really lean and get rid of that. But like for me, the cost wouldn't be worth it. So I accept that this is the way my body is. This is my genetic makeup. And I don't stress about it that much. Now, I know it's easier said than done, but just know, again, that you can't get this spot reduction effect through training. It has to come through diet, and then training can help you build the muscle and shape your body along with the reduction in body fat through dieting. So the fourth fitness myth that just won't die, another cardio one for you, is the idea that cardio kills your gains. Now, this myth, like a lot of myths in fitness, I think was popularized because Decades ago, before the internet, before social media, a lot of people got their fitness information from magazines, and the magazines were largely geared toward bodybuilding and physique competitors. And so there's a big difference. I don't think the general public necessarily understands the degree to which bodybuilders and physique competitors have to control every aspect of their life to get that lean and get that big There's still a lot of smoke and mirrors too about steroids and about other um, performance enhancing drugs and things like that. And I think that people, they see these hot bodies, they see these people, they look great and they think, you know, I want to do that so I should do what these people do. (laughs) And the bottom line is like if you are a busy creative person, you're a working artist, a musician, you have a nine to five job, like you can't really do what these people do and you're probably not blessed with the same great genetics as them anyway So I think it's sort of an unrealistic standard. But anyways, that was a tangent. These bodybuilders have to train in a specific way to essentially maximize muscle gain and maximize being lean. And they don't put much of a premium on other things. They actually don't put much of a premium on strength, which is kind of uh, shocking to some people. But you can build a lot of muscle and not be that strong. Now, a lot of the people that are really muscular are strong, but they're not necessarily the same goal. And um, bodybuilding certainly doesn't put much of a premium on like heart health and longevity and the other benefits of cardio. Uh, There's an unfortunate history in bodybuilding of people dying young of heart disease from the diuretics that they take from their shows and from the steroids. And uh, honestly, just the stress of being that muscular, it's hard on the body. So I don't think that we should necessarily be taking cardio advice from bodybuilders. Now, there's also a lot more evidence and research these days from people that train for endurance events for people that do more of a hybrid training where they do a lot of lifting and they do a lot of endurance. But you don't need to worry about cardio affecting your gains, especially if you are just a casual lifter. And, you know, I would consider myself to be a casual lifter. Like I have some big goals. I compete sometimes, but I'm certainly not a professional athlete. And most of the people listening to this are not either. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you listen to my episode with uh, Wes Showalter, we talked about this, like Being gen pop is is great. You know, you don't have to worry about all the considerations of an athlete. But all that being said, like the intensity of training that you're doing, the goals that you have, like you don't need to worry about the amount of cardio that you're doing affecting the amount of lifting that you're doing. It goes even deeper than this too, because as I mentioned earlier, there's so many benefits to doing cardio training that I really think it's important for everyone to include. And that would be true even if it did maybe hurt your gains because sure, it's great to chase, you know, a 600 pound deadlift or to look really, really lean and look good. But like, I feel like ultimately most people come around to training for longevity, training for quality of life. And one of the most important parts of that is cardio training. The last thing that I'll say about this is that Being in good aerobic shape actually can help you be a better lifter because as I mentioned earlier, your aerobic energy system is producing the vast majority, almost the entirety of energy that you use. And that means that that is the system that's helping you recover between workouts. It's also helping you recover literally between sets at the gym or between harder intervals of something. So if your aerobic system is not working that well because you don't do any cardio and you're not very efficient, it's actually going to take you longer to recover from lifting and you're not going to be able to do as many sets or handle as much volume. So people that have a good cardio base of fitness can actually train harder in the weight room and recover faster. So you can see how that combination might actually make you a better lifter just by getting your aerobic fitness in check and doing a little bit more cardio. So to summarize this, you know, unless you're like an elite bodybuilder or some type of athlete, uh, you don't need to worry about cardio killing whatever gains you're getting at the gym. The benefits of cardio far outweigh any potential drawbacks of which there are really not any unless, again, you're at that elite level. And being in better cardio shape can actually help you lift more uh, and recover better between workouts. The final myth that I want to address is not necessarily one myth, but it's things like Deadlifts are bad for your back or squats are bad for your knees. You know, insert exercise is bad for some joint or some body part. I think that it's really important to reduce fear around training. There are so many people, in fact, probably a majority of people in the U.S. where I'm recording from that don't do any exercise at all, that certainly don't do any strength training. I know more people do cardio training And these messages or these posts that are like doing a deadlift like this guarantees you're going to hurt yourself or a big mistake if you're squatting like this, like whatever it is, they just keep people out of the gym and they make people afraid of lifting and they make people probably more likely to experience chronic pain issues because they're so in their head scanning for pain, scanning for signs of things being wrong. I think it's important, yes, to make smart decisions at the gym. So if I have a new client, there's no way I'm having them deadlift 135 pounds from the floor in the first session. You know, we're going to build up to that. But it's not that the deadlift is inherently dangerous. It's that the client, the trainee, hasn't prepared for it properly. So maybe they need some mobility work. They probably need a stronger core. They probably need to just learn how to do a hip hinge, which is the movement that powers exercises like deadlifts and swings and... Romanian deadlifts, like you can adapt to a lot of things in training if you increase load, increase volume, increase complexity gradually. You take plenty of rest, you don't push it too hard. In time, your body can even adapt to doing things with like not perfect form. So, this is something that I've changed my mind a lot about as a trainer. Yes. I want people to do stuff well, but after watching literally hundreds of people over the last 10 years in person, I can tell you that nobody moves exactly the same. And a lot of people that are older are like working with limitations from past injuries or they just haven't trained a lot and they're they're stiff. And, you know, I help them do the best they can. But like, a 65 year old client who has a bad knee and who sits at a desk all day long is going to have a lot different looking deadlift than someone who's 25 and who was a college athlete. So there's not there's best practices. Sure, there's things that I want to avoid, but like I try not to micromanage people unless I think they're going to uh, do something that is really unsafe. We can really adapt to a lot of these positions if we just increase load, we make smart decisions, and we do all that stuff gradually. So the last thing that I'll say about this is like, you know, yes, people get hurt at the gym, but again, it's probably um, a combination of inadequate preparation or doing too much too soon or even outside of the gym factors like stress from life, sleep, all those things can impact injuries. But actually the, the real last thing that I wanted to say is that the real risk to most people is not going in the gym and squatting or doing some type of a deadlift. It's being out of shape and being weak and being deconditioned. Because the older you get, the more those things start to become real liabilities to your health and well-being. You might slip and fall and not be able to catch yourself. You might be helping your friends move and throw out your back because you're not that strong. Um, You might have health issues that uh, could have potentially been mitigated through some type of regular exercise you know there's exercise is not a panacea I am a big fan of going to the doctor and getting medicine I'm not trying to say that but but there's a reason why a lot of doctors will prescribe some type of exercise for chronic conditions because exercise can really help with a lot of this stuff so don't wait until it's too late because you're afraid you're gonna hurt yourself at the gym because being weak, not moving well not having healthy joints not having good cardio fitness those things put you at a huge risk of injury and illness outside the gym and as i've said to people that i've presented to as i've said to my clients like one of the reasons why i'm so passionate about fitness for musicians and artists and creatives is that i want you to have a long career and i want you to be able to make decisions based on what you want, not because your body's making a decision for you. I don't want you to have to retire or quit or even, God forbid, change careers because you had some sort of an injury or an issue that might have been avoided if you had taken care of your body at an earlier age. So, you know, not to end it on a little bit of a a dark note there, but I really do think that the stakes are that high. And I do think that it's so important to train now If you're worried about hurting yourself, if you have pain or injuries, that's what really good coaches and trainers, especially in-person coaches, can help you with. They're there to help you with form. They're there to put you in positions to be successful and help you build your confidence. But the risk of training, of potentially hurting yourself at the gym, I think long term, especially with intelligent training, is significantly less than the risks of not training at all. So Just to summarize, we have five fitness myths that just won't die but hopefully they died for you today. (laughs) Hopefully I did a good job of explaining my perspective and some of the science on this. The first is that you have to change your workouts all the time to keep your body guessing. The reality is that you actually need repetition in order to push yourself to the point where you'll see results. The second myth is that higher heart rate training is always better. The reality is that the vast majority of your training should be done at a low to moderate heart rate, especially with cardio training, if you wanna get the most biggest benefits of that type of training. Yes, you can do high heart rate training sometimes, but it is not always the best. The third myth is that you can spot reduce body fat in problem areas using exercises that target that area. Unfortunately, we can't control where we lose body fat from, so we can build muscle in an area, and then we can lower our overall body fat, but some areas are just going to hold on to body fat longer, and there's not really much we can do about that. The fourth myth is that cardio will kill your lifting gains. So in fact, cardio can actually make you a better lifter because it improves your recovery, it improves your ability to handle volume, And in general, unless you're like a really elite level strength athlete or bodybuilder, you just don't need to worry about this because the intensity and the amount of training you're doing is not gonna be affected by any type of cardio. And then finally, this idea that certain exercises are bad for your joints. I think that doing too much too soon can be bad for your joints. Picking exercises that aren't a great fit for your body can potentially put you in a bad position, but. I don't necessarily think that any exercise is inherently bad for all people, and I think the most important thing is to get in the gym, progressively increase your tolerance for load and for volume, do harder things as needed, you know, ask for help when you need it, but don't sit out of the gym because you're worried about getting hurt. In reality, the risks of not training, I think, are far greater in the long term. So I hope this was interesting for you. It was definitely fun for me to record. Like I said, I am going to do another one of these uh, probably in a couple weeks on nutrition myths that just won't die. But if you have questions about this, if anything was unclear, or if you just want to say hi, or if you want to request a future guest or topic, please send me a DM on Instagram. I really love hearing from you and I always respond. My handle is just my name at Caroline Juster. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Building Stronger Creatives. If something you heard resonated with you, I would love for you to share this episode with someone else who might enjoy it. I also always appreciate comments, ratings, and reviews. These things help me get the word out to other creatives who could benefit from this type of information. See you back on the next episode. Until then, stay curious, stay passionate, and stay strong. (music) Thank you.